the pressers with Matt Mallory and Clint Necro. Brought to you by Public Safety and Education and the Trigger Pressers Union. And now, your hosts. All right, welcome everybody. This is Clint Macro. And Matt Mallory. And our special guest. Rob Pincus. But we're going to give him a, uh, an actual introduction here in a moment. Yes, we are. We're going to be going over uh, your report from the NRA annual meeting, and, and uh, we, our special guest is going to talk about some things that, that occurred there as well. And we have our everyday carry, uh, we'll call it a fashion show. How about that? Uh, we're going to show off some of the things. We had a lot of people send emails in after the last last episode asking, what do we carry? What are our What is our everyday carry? What does that consist of? So we're going to go over that. Uh, at least Matt and I and perhaps our guests will join us as well. Hopefully. And we'll go over some up, upcoming co uh, course dates, some different events that, that are coming up. Uh, but with that said, I think it's time that we, you uh, give the actual introduction to our, our special guest. Most definitely. So Rob is an educator and developer of the Live Fire program for the USCCA, United States Concealed Carry Association. Uh, it's based off of the intuitive defensive shooting program that he created 15 years ago. He's also the founder of ICE Training Company, executive director of PDN, Personal Defense Network, executive vice president of the Second Amendment organization, and trustee of Walk to Talk America. And did I miss anything, Rob? Because I know there's a lot I, more. It's... There's a lot. There's a lot going on there. Yeah. So uh, that's uh, that's sort of the highlights. I guess that's that's the big thing. You know, obviously, you guys are both involved in that USCCA uh, Defensive Shooting Fundamentals program. Definitely. Really proud to be working with with the whole team over there. Uh, we started that, that program. Just about two years ago, we just all got together. We were all down in Atlanta, I think it was, and uh, had a sit-down conversation with Tim and the rest of the team. Uh, Steve, obviously, there in the training division. And, you know, if they wanted to take that step and make that leap into live fire, you know, go, go beyond what the uh, CCHDF program is and really give people a curriculum that was specific to concealed carry skill development. You know, obviously, that we've all known each other for a long time, and I've worked on other projects with USCCA over the years, about a, going over a decade now. And uh, you know, we have that we have that intuitive defensive shooting program, of course, formerly known as CFS. And it just made more sense for us to work together on a, a repackaging and a, a revision and update, if you will, of that material that was set up for a level one, level two approach. Uh, it made way more sense for for me to work with the, the team there on that than uh, to you know either just work separately, you know, sort of in competition or for them to try to reinvent the wheel because uh, so many of the guys on their team, including Clint, and, and I think you've become familiar with the material now as well. And you know, lots of people inside of that world are familiar with the CFS approach and that counter ambush methodology that we use and, and appreciate it. So it made a lot of sense. So we're now going into our second year of instructor development. Of course, both books are published now and uh, we're really just, just continuing to grow that team and, and having a great time doing it. Speaking of both books, I made sure I had some good uh, books ready here. Level one, level two. Go. Very nice. So, yeah. Well, that's, that's, that was like a little Vanna White, to, like precursor to the, uh, <laughs> the the fashion show. Well, I didn't see fashion show, by the way. I would have, I would have, would have dressed up. <laughs> that's right. We'll be dressing down in a little bit. Dun dun dun. Yeah. You should have seen what we originally were going to call it. Yeah, nah. yeah. We want to be somewhat politically correct, but still. <laughs> 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 I 
So we're going to get into some of the things that you saw at the at the NRA annual meeting, Matt, because yeah. you worked on the floor quite a bit. Mm-hmm. But uh, one of the things I was uh, thinking Rob might want to talk about was some of the things that occurred in the politics of the NRA. Please, yeah, it's been it's been quite a couple. Of, please, yeah, it's been quite a couple of weeks uh, for the NRA and, and really for for anybody who's interested in gun rights in America. You know, all American gun owners should be in, invested and interested in what's going on with the National Rifle Association. You know, theoretically, they should be the representation, uh, the face of American gun ownership. And unfortunately, you know, uh, a lot of people portray them as that, but in, in a very negative way. And the fact is that they don't represent the, the vast majority of American gun owners. We, we've seen that political backlash inside the gun community. You know, and the, the membership numbers kind of tell the story all by themselves. They, they uh, in, in the members meeting, in fact, uh, Wayne LaPierre, you know, sort of proudly stated that the, the they have the more members right now than, than ever that they can claim. They're claiming 5.5 million members. And in the next sentence, he said, and that's representative of over 100 million American gun owners. And, you know, you have to ask yourself, if you are representing fairly and, and appropriately and, and well, if you're representing 100 million people, why are there only, you know, 5.5 million that you can claim as members? And, and that's a big question mark that a lot of gun owners have. And of course, the, the angst that was uh, expressed by myself and others, the concerns that were expressed by us uh, voting members in the members meeting when we took the, the podium, despite the board of directors attempt to shut the meeting down and adjourn after the pep rally portion of it, um, we got up and, and Josh Prince and Adam Kraut and, and Frank Tate, several other people were there as well. And it was really uh, Joshua Prince who, who found kind of the, the citation in the bylaws uh, for NRA membership which I don't, you know, I bet, bet you know, 0.001% of that 5.5 million people who have ever actually looked at or read, right. um, you know, he found that the, the exact section, uh, section three, subsection six, item D, that was uh, all members have a right to be heard at the meeting. And uh, by using parliamentary procedure, Robert Rules of Orders, we were able to interrupt the attempt to adjourn the meeting and actually, you know, have the beginning of a conversation about transparency and uh asking the officers and the board of directors to answer the concerns that many members have. So when you, when you think about less than 6% of American gun owners are claimable as members, and there's obviously a huge number of members who have said that, you know, they're never going to renew or they're, they're life yeah. members, they would never pay in again. Yep. Uh, they're, they're members now, they're going to keep paying because they want to be able to vote to try to make change. So there's a large number of that 5.5 million that are also dissatisfied with, with some of the things that are, that are coming out, even just, just within the last couple hours. Another article from a media source that is probably um, antagonistic to the, 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 the rights that we believe that we should be defending, you know, the right to keep and bear arms. And, and I think not only defending, but trying to regain when we think about things like getting rid of the NFA and, and things like that. We're trying to regain our Second Amendment rights in a lot of ways. And if, if the, the anti-gunners or the pro-gun control side are able to paint a caricature uh, with a broad brush that of all American gun owners being represented by the NRA, and yet the vast majority of American gunners don't feel represented by the NRA, but we're not getting a fair shake. We're not getting a fair representation in the public space. And and that's why we need organizations like Second Amendment Organization, Second Amendment Foundation, uh, Firearms Policy Coalition. Mm-hmm. Of course, you've got uh, your Allegheny County. Uh, Allegheny County Sportsman's League, League and Firearms Owners Against Crime here. That are now uh, uh, engaged in a battle with the city of Pittsburgh. I think even the USCCA, USCCA is not really a political organization, right? They're big into education. 
And there are plenty of other places to look um, for the American middle ground, people who aren't already invested in pro-gun control or pro-rights to see the face of American gun ownership outside of the NRA. So uh, a lot of us uh, took issue with the way the NRA has been sort of just narrowly defining what gun ownership looks like in terms of conservative politics. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, th- there's all kinds of allegations about the financial issues now, the relationships with the PR firm. All of these things really came to a head at the meeting, um, some of it very, very public, some of it very inside baseball. But uh, at the end of the day, you know, we were asking and, and people can go to my YouTube channel and see, you know, some of us speaking and also see some of the old guards speaking about control and secrecy. And, you know, we'll, we, there's things the members never should know. Well, the problem is I'm reading The New Yorker and I'm reading about these these memos and these letters right. that are being written, these allegations and seeing the numbers of the salaries and the bonuses and the the cronyism that's going on. And I really feel like I get that this is embarrassing. I get that it's troubling. I get that there might even be legal issues for the NRA, but if they don't step up and, and you know, give a mea culpa and admit these issues and talk to American gun owners and sort of reboot the system, change the strategy, change the internal structure, and probably change leadership, uh, they're going to take the whole thing down. And while they're taking the whole thing down, a lot of people in middle America think that every gun owner supports the NRA, and it's just obviously not true. I think a lot of the a lot of the problems for them, I mean, it's been going on for a while, but I think a lot of the stuff came to light when they actually publicly outed, outed the USCCA and they started doing things behind the scenes, like Andy Lander had alluded to, but then obviously publicly what they're doing, kicking them out of other shows and stuff and just trying to discredit USCCA all in general. I think that that was, uh, you know, that, that was kind of the beginning of that slope where people were getting sick of it, they're tired of it, and they really just, they, they wanted, you know, we two organizations both fighting for our Second Amendment, if you will, doing things to better uh, instructors, the, the industry as a whole, and, you know, one of them's just totally being, playing unfair and doing doing things that, yeah, you wouldn't want. Yeah, like like you said, none of that's new. Um, people inside the industry have known about these things for a long time. You know, I used to work very closely with the NRA, and um, you know, honestly, just over the years, got very disillusioned. You know, sort of became less naive, uh, realized some of the problems there, and and fought inside, and and even at one point tried to get on the board, and and thought maybe I could make some changes on the inside. I, I feel firmly that the changes right now are are you know defunding. That's how we. That's how we're going to force change because. Take away the profit motive, the cronyism, all the backroom deals, all the bonuses, all the salaries. But you can't really, how can I take you seriously that you need the, the $50 a, a year from the average member when you've got a $1.4 million salary plus $250,000 in travel, $250,000 in clothing plus for one guy? Plus you know? what they're paying the ad company. Well, that's just it. Yeah, you, yeah. you can't, you look at the numbers of the monies that fly out there. You, you tell me you're sacrificing 50% of the salaries for all the top you know, 10% of the employees and, and uh, vendors at the NRA. Now I believe you need the 50 bucks from the average guy. But, yeah. but right now, who can take that seriously? You know, and, and you know, you mentioned that the USCCA, a lot of that stuff's been going on for a long time. Even Second Amendment organization, um, when 2AO long before I was involved, was really on a, on a big growth trajectory doing business outreach. So there were T, 2AO's original like, reason to exist was to encourage uh, kind of a counter gun-free zone movement. So they had over 250,000 people had committed that their their businesses around the country were going to be positive uh, and friendly towards gun owners. And, and whether that meant they were just going to put the 2AO sticker in their window or whether it meant that they took the pledge online and they put their email in their registry, whatever it was, maybe a discount for anybody that had a valid concealed carry permit. 
But uh, that trajectory was going so fast after Sandy Hook, there was actually like a hit piece written by Marion Hammer, the infamous Marion Hammer, yeah. about the, the new organizations that were distracting people from supporting the NRA. And this was while, of course, other people inside of the NRA were courting the leadership of 2AO, telling them how good a job they were doing. Very similar to what happened with USCCA, USCCA. Yep. you know, um, you know, years later. So, so it's 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 a recurring pattern. It's something that, that a lot of people have known about all these things with Ackerman McQueen and the cronyism for a long time. A lot of us have seen it. Um, the, the open letter from Andy Lander. There have been a couple other people who have put out open letters now who are former employees. I mean, it came out today. There's one former employee I found out who's still on the payroll for, I think, half a million dollars a year. And he's got a gag order. He just kind of walked out the door and he hasn't said anything. It was really odd to a lot of us. And now it's been outed that he's still being paid hundreds of thousands of dollars. Wow. And obviously isn't supposed to be talking about the conditions under which he left. <laughs> so it's just it's just amazing, you know, that, that some people, honestly, at the, the show, um, there was a, a article in, in Vice News. I get it? Like Vice News is, is they, not us, whatever. <laughs> but the reporter there has been covering the firearms community quite well and quite thoroughly. And really, you know, I, I know know them now uh, as someone who has really evolved in a way they think about the gun community after interacting with, with people with like gun rights policy conference and not seeing just the caricature uh, that you would see in the in the spotlight of what an American gun owner is. And uh, the story was all about walking the show floor and asking about the problems with the NRA leadership or concerns about financial issues and just. 90% of the people on the show floor not being, not caring at all, not, not having anything to say about it. Or saying, oh, I heard something about that, but that's just hashtag fake news. And it's like, well, that's your self-fulfilling prophecy. If you're listening to Dana Loesch tell you you can't trust the news for three or four years, right. and then you see something on the news that goes against the NRA, but you've been brainwashed into thinking you can't trust it unless it comes off NRA TV, of course now you don't trust what you've seen. That's yeah. pretty convenient. Definitely. It, one thing that shed some light on, uh, to me, behind-the-scene mindset, when the NRA switched over to the the uh, online learning versus the... Yeah, blended learning. Pro, yeah. yeah. So when they were doing that, that whole transition, I had a meeting with somebody who's now retired from the NRA uh, and laser ammo, and they were trying to put... I, I basically facilitated the deal between the two of them, and uh, one of the things that came right out was, because I was concerned, I'm like, you know, I'm a little concerned about somebody taking an online course and then coming to me for five hours in the range, and, and he was like, oh, well, we plan on losing 30,000 instructors, and we're fine with that. Yep. I was yeah, like... I believe it. I, I was flabbergasted. And at that point, I knew there was nothing I could say, no concern that I could make that would make them think that maybe they should rethink it at all. And then because of that disaster, how many, how many people got, got canned, right, before they went back to the instructor-led part of it? So, yeah, it's uh, it, it's sad to see that happen with the company that's, you know, the organization's been around and founded in New York, you know, where I'm at, so which is interesting. Well, I, I think there's, there's hope. I think that it's going to be rough. You know, that's what I said. I think that it, it's not – we can't afford to turn around and walk away from it as, right. as gun owners, as, as gun rights advocates, as I know the three of us are, and many of the people watching this are, we must put this pressure on as American gun owners for the NRA to write the ship. You know, whether you're a member or not, you can put the pressure on. And if you are a member, if you're a voting member, if you do feel like the thing to do is to keep paying in to you, until you have a vote, uh, you got to keep that pressure on. We can't just turn our backs on it because the problem is there's enough like momentum there, right? Just from the companies like Midway USA and some of the other companies that dump yeah. hundreds of thousands or even millions of dollars a year into the system, mm -hmm. they will continue to be the face of American gun rights and American gun owners until some someone else takes their place, which I don't really think is going to happen, or until they reboot. 
And, and when they reboot, it may very well be, uh, you know, the, the best face we could possibly have again. But it's not today. Yeah, I hope they bounce back from it. And I just hope they bounce back uh, stronger and smarter than, than it's been in the, in the past years. So what else you got? Any any other thoughts? Any other? Uh... I don't know. So so that was that was like the big drama over there. You know, I mean, as far as the NRA show, I love the NRA show because it's it's really one of those very few shows um, that's existed on a large scale that we can interact with the the consumer. Right? When you look at mm-hmm. like NASGW uh, Shot Show, the EWA, the European Shot Show, all the the kind of closed door trade shows. It's great to you know see industry people and, and my friends. You know, for twenty years, some of them, but the NRA show is where we get to actually interact with the people that, you know, are like watching this, this video cast, people yeah. that have come to classes, people that have read the books, people who have, you know, read my articles in Concealed Carry Magazine or watch the TV shows on Outdoor Channel. So that's a, that's a great event as far as that goes. And we're all going to be together uh, here just coming up, I think probably yeah. within a week of this show airing, right? We're all going to be back here in, in Pittsburgh mm-hmm. proper yeah. uh, at the USCCA Expo, which is another example of a show that's been, been growing rapidly, obviously, over the last couple of years. And uh, that's an end user show, as I call it as well. It's a consumer show. So I'm, obviously, it's going to be great to see the rest of the USCCA team. And we're planning on all getting together, uh, the DSF instructors, and have a little kind of powwow at some point during the weekend. But at the same time, I know there's going to be people that are going to come through there that have, you know, probably watched this show already. You know, the mm-hmm. second episode of our watching this show, they're watching the other things that we're doing online. I'm sure there'll be a lot of conversation about the politics and the drama with the NRA. But there's also going to be a lot of great conversations about the books and the training videos and the experiences people have had with the mm-hmm. information that we all put out into the public space. And, and I really enjoy that. And it also feeds the next thing we're going to do, right? Because people will ask questions or we'll say, hey, I wish you'd do a video on this yeah. and, and we'll do that. So, so I, I, I enjoy that about NRA and I definitely have been enjoying that at the USCCA Expo. So I'm looking forward to that again this year. And uh, other than that, the, uh, the training programs, you know, we're, we're doing a class right now. We have day one today. We're going to be back on the range day two. And this guy, uh, the host of the class, and also obviously an instructor in his own right, teaches, might be the only guy that teaches almost as much as I do as far as number of classes a year. But he spent the whole day out in the sun shooting, running running drills right next to the, the people that literally, I think. Had I got to shoot today. Yeah. All day. Like, right, all day. Six or Amen. Rounds. Yeah. It was great. So it was great it's to awesome. see him out there doing the work. And uh, <laughs> not just the work teaching, but actually the work to doing be it. prepared to defend himself and, and his, his awesome family. Yeah. yeah, a lot of people, those of you that aren't instructors that are watching the show, we spend a lot of days on during the week on the range all day long, but it's pretty rare that we get an opportunity to shoot, especially shoot that much. Occasionally we might demo a particular drill or something from time to time, but to actually get a couple hundred rounds down range was really a wonderful thing today, and I, yeah. I, I'm glad to have had the opportunity to do so. Yeah, I was inventorying my ammo, and uh, I was saying that to myself: "Is I, I need to get out and shoot some of this ammo. It's uh, sitting around a little, a little too long." So, well, I told I- one of the students there. I said, I, "I'm almost done with my election panic ammo." Yeah, because <laughs> what I shot up today was yeah. the last of what I bought right before the election in yeah. uh, 2016. Yeah, your Hillary ammo. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah. so what what were some of the things that you you saw at the uh, NRA annual meeting? Well, I, I was working the Shooter Technology Group, Lazar's booth. Hi, I'm John. And I'm Jason. From Shooter Technology Group. And you're listening to Meet the Pressers. So I didn't get around as far as looking at new products like I, care, I really wanted to. I was trying to 
put as much effort as I could into helping them sell as, as much as as much products and, and give out uh, brochures and stuff as much as possible. But I did, did get you, away. Did you did you miss me while you were doing that? Very you much. Probably so. heard you long, right? I heard your voice like all day, every day, yeah. <laughs> because of course you know. And it's it's funny. Uh, some of the guys, some of the people coming around the booth, we we're we we're talking, and they're like, "Hey, I know that guy," um, just because your voice was there. So you were there in uh, in. You know the the audio side of you is there, but yeah, I really wished I would have been able to make it out there. I had another engagement that I had to deal with with uh, Firearms Owners Against Crime, so I thought I should keep my uh, keep my presence local during the annual meeting. Very true. Um, so I went to the trainer update, and in the trainer update, the the one thing they they promote or they promoted or talked about is the new CCW course. Um, and there was a lot of a lot of questions, a lot of people asking like, you know, how's this going to affect? Do you have to go and you know what's the requirement to get to go to the, become an instructor for CCW, et cetera? And they answered they answered most of that. And it seems like it's a good program. And now that it's action, it's running. Uh, they just went live with it. I think they said there's 150 training counselors across the country that can teach it. Um, just to me, it sounded like they were a whole nother set of tracks. You know, they started kind of like a whole nother company. I mean, did, do you get that? Do you feel that way with it? Uh, to be to be quite honest, I, I don't really know a whole lot about the program. Um, okay. I think maybe because I'm in Pennsylvania where there is no no requirement for training, they've kind of kept me out of the, the beta testing and all that. Um, but I do remember in 17 when I was involved with the uh, update of the basic pistol program, uh, basically pistol shooting. Uh, they had talked about doing something to kind of answer that need in those states that require training, whereas, you know, of course, the NRA basic pistol shooting course was never designed to be a concealed carry class. That's right. not what it was designed to be. That's not what it's meant to be. It's right. it's a familiarization class, you yeah. know, to own and use a pistol safely. That's our that's our course goal when Definitely. we teach that. And because of mandatory training, people, you know, these states would pick up a pick up the NRA basic pistol course because it was the only organized class that was available you know, to teach civilians. So right. I think that was their answer to meet that need, but have it actually be a concealed carry class. Whereas with the personal protection series, which is, you know, some, some good stuff, mm -hmm. the average Joe to go through basic pistol, then inside the home, then outside the home, you're looking at minimum four days. Yep. Uh, and you know, as, as we all know, people have lives and it's very difficult to expect people to be able to do that, especially if it's a requirement to get a magic plastic card that they can put their shirt over their gun. Mm -hmm. So, uh, I, I think their intention behind that program is, was pretty cool. And I, I think it's, it's something that the, the world might need. Uh, but I really can't comment too much on the curriculum. I really don't know much about it. And then now the DSF program with the USCCA, that's, that's the one I've been putting on more often. Uh, I really, really enjoy the methodology. Uh, I, I have to be honest, I, I really don't like the shooter ready standby, here's your qual, you have to shoot yeah. this many rounds at this target, then that target yeah. in this amount of time. Because it, it, it really takes out the, the uh, personal competency portion of that. And then a lot of times people are really work real hard to get that qual in that amount of time and they game it is that does they, they do they they oftentimes they game it or you'll have someone who is taking steps to empower themselves and become their own family first responder they don't quite make it through the qual in the time that they get you know that they're required to get and they go oh i suck i shouldn't do this <laughs> and then they don't they don't become that family first responder yeah uh, you know, fast is yeah. a great thing. We need yep. to be as fast as we possibly can while still getting our defensively accurate hits. Yeah. 
but not everyone is going to be as fast as you or me or somebody else. Yeah. They need to be as fast as they can be. Yeah. I always use so, the mentality. I always tell people that, you know, there's a, don't never have the Chris Kyle moment or the wild Bill Hickok moment. You know, you could be the, the baddest person out there, the fastest person, but you could have a bad day and somebody might have a good day. So you still, you know, you, you got to be as best as you can be, but you still want to be nice to everybody until it's no longer time to be nice. Kind of like well, hey, the, as, again, we always go back to the one surefire, 100% guaranteed piece of information I can give you is you will win the confrontation that you avoid. Amen. Amen very, to that. Very true. Very true. Don't be so, in a fight if you don't have to be. So any any equipment or gear or guns or anything you saw at our annual meeting that would be worth talking about? I mean, the ones that I've been looking at are the small uh, pocket pistols, the trailblazer, the, the credit card gun, the... the um, the cell phone gun, those ones kind of interest me. Those, that's something that I'm probably going to get my hands on to, to be able to shoot and the play with. The cell phone gun? Yeah, it looks like a cell phone, but uh, it turns into a 380. It, it transforms, opens up, and turns into a 380 double barrel. Little 380 double barrel. So I'm hmm. um, I'm going to probably get my hands on that just to shoot it, do a review on it, and maybe have my students do some shooting on it. Because in New York, legally, they you know you, you can't have it unless you're law enforcement or a FFL. So I'll get it just to have it in my try me try it before you buy it or just shoot me. <laughs> One of those two services that I offer to people that want to shoot like my Tommy gun, my AK. Oh, oh, I see. I see. I was just re- my, trying to think what you meant by that last. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, that's cool. That's cool. Yeah. I, you know that that kind of stuff seems. You know, I'd have to actually get my hands on it to, to really see the value of it. A lot of that seems a little bit novelty to me. Yeah, I, um, I totally. You know. Agree. Uh, is there a time and place for having that, you know, that, that secret, you know, spy single shot pen gun? It's like I, on, on your I suppose, glasses, you go, I suppose, pew, pew, you're shooting rounds out of your glasses or something, right? But, but you know, as, as we can see, especially with, with the advances of different types of holsters and, and, and mm-hmm. things like that, you know, you can, you can fit a Glock 19 inside the waistband and, yeah. you know, you conceal it very well. And or it's as, like, okay, two rounds or... 15 plus one or a six hour p365 now right i mean that's the the stuff that they're getting smaller and smaller and more capacity and then then the ballistics the and whatnot they're coming out with with the rounds the nine mils and such is it's pretty phenomenal what these you know what the ballistics show on these guns on the on this ammunition even sure 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 but yeah, as far as as far as the show, I I really didn't uh, didn't get around much to look at the booths because, like I said, I was working the Lazar Shooter Technology Group's booth, which was awesome. It was my first time working with them. Um, still doing stuff with Laser Ammo, but they needed some help, and Laser Ammo had a full team because another show got canceled. So I stepped in to to help out and join the team there, which was which was really good. I, I really liked working with them and heard your voice the whole time. So you know, it's you, you were there. Yeah, they're, they're good people, man. I I I really like them. I'm. Uh, spent spent a fair bit of time with them at different N- NRA annual meetings. It's it's kind of funny how that came about. Their original version, I had met them through through Mike Hughes. Okay. Uh, actually, when I first became certified with USCCA, I was in the second class. Uh, Michael Martin was my training counselor, and we were in Chicago. And nice. Um, uh, and uh, Mike Hughes was there, and Britt was there, and they gave a demo on the cert pistol, and and everyone thought that was a, a really cool product, and. And uh, I believe that I believe that Jason was there, and John. Both of them were at there at at the uh, at the uh, USCCA certification, oh, and awesome. so they 
they gave us a quick demo and I, I think they're like the webcam was tied together with duct tape. I mean, it was like, it was when they first made it or something like that. That's awesome. And, and we were, they did a demo. I didn't actually get to shoot it. I don't think, but they showed how it worked and I was really fascinated by it. And when it came out, the price point on it was very, very inexpensive. So I picked it up and they had another person do the voice. And when they did the second version, I, I don't know what happened. They lost track of that guy or maybe he disappeared off the planet or something. And, and they said, Hey Clint, you can, you got a studio, you can do voice. And I said, Oh, I said, I'm all into this, man. I, Quite honestly, we, I did it for profit, but I would have done that one for free. That was a lot of fun. <laughs> they're, and, kick, they're kicking themselves now if they would have known that. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, take, I take care of them. Every, every time they need an update or something, he'll call me up every now and then. When they did their new shot timer, he says, he says, I need you to say point. I said, point? And he says, because the shot timer is going to say 7.2, and I need you to say point. Oh, okay, cool. So they send me a list of, of words every now and then, and I'll just record cool. it. That's the female one actually was my wife, and I, I said they need a female voice, and my wife didn't want to do it. And throughout our our lifetime together, as I you know doing sound for movies and stuff, whenever yeah. I needed a female voice and I didn't want to pay an actress, I'd say Jen, come do this voice for me. She's like, okay. <laughs> so she did the the female voice uh, for the software as well. I thought maybe that you you came out of the closet for that one, but I guess not. I guess it was your wife. no, no, no. That was that was Jen. Um, so the trainer update, the, the one thing on the trainer update was they, uh, they talked about training counselors for the states and training counselors for regions because they're so short staffed at, at NRA headquarters and they want to try to find a way to, to, to lessen the burden of everybody calling into, into the headquarters. So it's a, kind of a neat idea. And, and you had said that yeah. you were part of that back in the beginning when they first started talking about it, right? Yeah. Yeah. Actually, there was a, a couple, couple training counselors. We were, Actually, I think we were all part of the uh, the original group of I think twelve training counselors that was uh, did the update in two thousand seventeen of the NRA Basics Pistol Shooting Course, okay. and uh, we put together an idea of essentially what they have released is kind of the idea we came up with, uh, uh, slightly different, uh, and I'm I'm glad to see it because really what it was all about was it was it was a mentorship program and quality control. You know, and let's police ourselves. And, mm -hmm. and, you know, you may discover a training counselor somewhere that's doing an older version of the class. Maybe they haven't received the update. So, you know, that that regional counselor or whatever, whatever the title they ended up calling it would be doing updates and putting on you know, extra information to the training counselors and then encouraging them to do the same with their instructors. I, I try to do uh, some type of update you know, once a year with my instructors. It ended up turning out to be, uh, this last year was my first, you know, the Trigger Pressers Union uh, instructor conference. But I would inform them on, you know, here's here's the new things that are going on with this program. Here's what's coming up. Here's this what's happening with this program. Here was a policy change. And I think this uh, program that they've put out, uh, at least the intention when we first kind of came up with the idea and pitched it to them, would be a way for outreach, so we could mentor and update and, and yeah. give people a support network so that we could uh, help the cadre out, help the cadre be better and, and evolve and grow. So I'm, I'm real pleased that they, they uh, 
put that out. So some of the questions that came up were, how are they going to be selected? How are those individuals going to be selected? Can people put their, their name in the hat, et cetera? And they basically said they're going to look at a matrix of how many classes the individuals taught, how many instructors they've certified, how frequent are they, uh, as well as if there's any complaints, because obviously that's a concern, especially with recently uh, losing <laughs> somebody getting revoked. Um, so, you know, it seems like a good idea. It's It'll be volunteer as well as uh, it'll be on a, I think they said a two-year rotation. So every maybe year or two year, they're going to swap it out with a new, a new, uh, a new individual. Well, we'll see how they roll it out. I'm, I'm, I'm sure they'll do it the best way that they can. Yep. Yep. And then modify it. And they, and they said that they said it'll be a work in progress. Mm -hmm. Um, there'll be bumps in the road. They're not going to get it right. They, they admitted that in the class, which was pretty refreshing. And they said that they'll, uh, you know, they'll work through it. They'll do, you know, they'll do the, do what they have to do to try to, to make it the best, the best pot as possible. Cool. Cool. Very cool. Yep. So. EDC. EDC. Yeah. No. Everyday carry. Actually, one, a couple of my instructors uh, sent me emails and said, hey, Clint, what are you carrying? I, I recently just did a video on full extension, just a little, I think it was like three and a half minute video. And a bunch of my guys sent me emails and said, hey, when did you start carrying appendix or centerline? And it's been about nine months. I decided to make that switch over. And actually, it was a very, very good move. And, and I'll, I'll explain why I think that in just a moment. But uh this prompted a conversation with you and I, and I mm -hmm. said, hey, you know, we ought to kind of just show off what our everyday carry is. You know, this is a lot of stuff that we take for granted. We put a lot of thought and, and, and um, you know, think deeply about this, and there's lots of considerations that go into it when we pick our own gear that we carry. And so um, I thought it would be a great idea that we would kind of do, a, do a, a show of showing, I guess a show, uh, we want to show off what our every, yeah, everyday carry is. Definitely. Now, just to be clear here, I'm not saying that what I carry should be what you carry. Exactly. Uh, there's a lot of considerations that go into it, uh, but more than anything, just to give people maybe ideas. Maybe you'll see what I carry, what Matt carries, and if Rob comes back in, if he'd like to show off a little bit, and maybe that would give people some ideas on what they might choose to carry or how they might choose to carry it. Yeah. So... Uh, what are your thoughts? Well, anybody out there that's taking classes from me always hears me say two is one, one is none. Better to have it, not need it, than need it, not have it. Those are two things that I that I say, I spew out, and, and I live by it. I, I, I really try to have at least two of everything on me so that way if something breaks, if I lose one, et cetera, if one malfunctions, something to that extent, I've got, I've got a backup. Um, is it possible to do that all the time? No. I mean, if I'm in shorts or I'm out in the farm working, working the chickens, working the garden, something like that, I'll, I'll have a gun on me. I'll have a knife. I'll have a flashlight. I won't have two guns, two knives, two flashlights, two pens, two less than lethal, two first aid. I won't have all that stuff. Um, but I'll have, I'll have what I, you know, what I can have on me at the time. But definitely, I mean, tourniquets. That's that's huge. Now we, people, you know, how many people? I, I don't know if you quiz your your class, but I'll always ask them. You know, any, who's got a tourniquet? And the, just the DSF I did uh, this past Sunday. I got a belt. 
Yeah. And, yeah. You know, and I always revert back to that. Okay, if I'm going to do open heart surgery, do you, do you want me to use a belt? I mean, do you want, yeah, you want me to use a belt to open heart surgery? You want me to use this or do you want me to use a scalpel? Right? I mean, right. is this effective? Yeah. Is it efficient? Is it going to do the job like a scalpel would do? No. This is a knife. A scalpel is a scalpel. So that thought process of using a tourniquet as a tourniquet versus a belt as a belt, it makes people realize. One one really cool thing was I asked how many people had tourniquets, and there's probably three out of this out of the eight people in the class that said they had maybe maybe four said they had tourniquets on, and I asked them when they started carrying a tourniquet, and they all they all said you 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 told me to have one, you told me to have one, and I was like, that, that's neat, that's neat. When said, you, yeah, you you yeah, right there. Yeah, because I was I was was expecting them to say, oh, something happened. I watched this video, that and that. But they all said, they pointed at me and they said, because of what you said is why I'm, I'm, I have a tourniquet. And well, we, we talk a great deal about the, the plausibility principle in, in a lot of Rob's classes, actually. You know, a lot of it's founded upon that. And, you know, we, we carry the firearm because we accept that we might need to use that to protect ourselves or our family. And if you look at what's most probable, we're probably not going to need the firearm. But there's enough of it, enough of a possibility that we, we carry it. Well, what else might we need? You know, how often do you know people that slipped and fell? I mean, you know, I've, I can think of many times in my life where I had bleeding, mm -hmm. you know, and I needed to, to take care of a, a, a bleedy problem. So having that, you know, bleedy problem. Yeah, that's, that's a technical phrase. <laughs> so, uh, you know, having that bleedy problem you know, having like an Israeli bandage or something like that would have been very, very useful to have. You know, people slip and fall or cut themselves when you're working with machinery, things yeah. like that. Chainsaw. You know, chainsaw. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, having that on you is certainly beneficial if ever we are in a dynamic critical incident and need to patch up ourselves or our family. But I can think of a whole lot of other things where that still might be useful and good to have. Uh, actually, what, what's, what, when I started carrying one was when I was working, uh, actually becoming a, a DS, DFC, a little defensive firearms coach with ICE training. And uh, Jamie Onion was my, my uh, trainer, okay. I guess for lack of a better term. And, and Jamie carried one. I said, wow, that's pretty cool. And uh, the same one that I'm carrying now, and I'll show here in a moment. And he says, well, you know, I said, of your everyday carry stuff, what have you used? And I said, well, forget the flashlight and the knife, because we know we use that constantly. Right. And he says, he says, well, as a civilian, uh, you know, Jamie's a police officer, a full-time police officer. He says, as a, as a civilian, as a as Joe citizen, he said, I've never had to use my firearm. He says, but and he, and he pulled his, his leg cuff, uh, his first aid kit off. And he says, I've used this about four times. And he explained to me, you know, Woman falls, hit her head off the concrete. Kid on a bicycle slams into the side of a car. You know things like that. And you know what better way to serve the citizenry than to have that that uh, that kit on you and those tools available? Mm -hmm. And I find a lot of times people are hesitant to carry those things because they're intimidated by the the medical gear. And I can't speak highly enough of something as simple as like a stop the bleed class. Uh, PDN has Caleb Kazi's yeah. class, you know, that you can do online. Uh, the Emergency First Aid Fundamentals through uh, the USCCA, all all really great courses, and would give you probably enough information where you would feel empowered to carry that and feel confident that you could apply that tool, and uh, you know, keep some red stuff inside of someone's body. So yeah. I highly recommend getting that education. I don't think that you should carry something that you're not. Uh, you 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 proficient uh, with or at proficient least with yeah absolutely you base know, knowledge 
and uh, like the Stop the Bleed classes, you know, and many of them are, you can find them for free. I think yeah. they're tremendous value, very short investment of time. And, you know, I've said this before, my son took one with me and, and you know, in a couple hours he was wrapping up teddy bears and he was putting putting the tourniquet on me and he was, uh, you know, wrapping up my wife's arm. And, That's awesome. And he feels comfortable to use that and I feel confident that he can use it and now he carries them in his backpack. Yeah. And, you know, That's that awesome. might save a life someday. Yeah. And so uh, definitely get the schooling behind whatever you carry, but I think... I think, you know, we've led this, we've segued into this, that part of your everyday carry should be some type of, some type of medical gear, even if it's just an Israeli bandage, you know, or, or the full kit, that would be awesome. You know, we all have to live within the confines of our own, own lifestyle. And, you know, I'm wearing cargo pants 99% of the time and I wear a button up shirt or a long, sh you know, yep. like a, a, a t-shirt and that works for me. You know, I, I'm not wearing a suit unless I go to the Mason's Lodge. And, and, you know, I'm not wearing heels and a tiny skirt either, thank God. I'm sure that would draw yeah. a lot of attention, perhaps. That would, that would lose my gray man status. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, and we will only sink to the lowest level of training we have. So if we have no training in something, I, I call it, I've coined it as the fetal position. You know, condition black, whatever you want to call it. You know, a position we felt comfortable in as a kid as a baby, I should say, is in a womb with your thumb in your mouth, curled up in a ball. So if you have no training, and that, and you'll see that when somebody has no, when they totally lose all mental capacity because that situation is so horrific that they just can't mentally handle what's happening, they'll literally roll up in a ball and stick their, well, maybe not stick their thumb in their mouth, but it definitely curl up in a ball. Um, and, and that's what we need to do. We need to get enough of that content in our motor cortex, into our muscle memory, so that way we revert back to that training versus reverting back to uh, right. Nothing. Your body can't go where your mind's never been. Sure. Sure. And we could dedicate a whole episode to that. Maybe we should do that for one of these yeah. upcoming episodes, but let's get into our, uh, our, our everyday carry. So who, which one, who wants to go first? Do rock, paper, scissor. You go. Okay. I'll go. Well, we got some, we need strip club music or something. So first, <laughs> first and foremost, That's your job. Uh, we're talking about <laughs> our carry gun. So, as this camera's run remotely, I'm going to go ahead and just take my holster off here. So what here, I, I have a, a Sherudo holster, which the Sherudo holster is from Armed and Feminine. If you are aware of Kellyanne Pigeon, her company Armed and Feminine, she has these made. She helped design them. They're actually designed for women. Uh, you know, I once was doing a, an unarmed class, and one of the guys I was training with, said, he jumped on top of me and helped me down on the ground. He says, you've got them birthing hips. And I said, what does that mean? <laughs> this holster fits really well on me, and it's, huh. it's very, very comfortable. Uh, Sherudo, you can get it from Armed and Feminine. And my carry gun is a Glock 19 Gen 3, and I have the Dave Spaulding cap sights on it. Uh, that's one thing uh, I worked with Dave a couple, I guess a couple years ago, and he introduced me to those sites, and they have the square front sight on it, and it's, uh, it, you you can't miss it. If you're picking up front sight, it's right there. So I, nice. I really uh, like those. They they work very well for me. Uh, Bravo Concealment Belt, uh, I was actually introduced to it by a, a colleague of mine, Aaron Marco, down in West Virginia. He had one, and it's got a really nice low-profile uh, buckle. You did get one. Yeah, I did end up getting one. Yeah, nice. it's 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 a very stout belt, and it's in the fifty dollar range, which was pretty affordable. 
Uh, I've tried a bunch of other belts before, and I was carrying a, an Amish-made, just regular leather belt that I got made at a tack shop up in a town not far from here where there's a lot of Amish people. And that, that belt worked real well, but when I came, when I decided to start carrying an appendix because of where the buckle was and the way the leather kind of stacked on top of itself, it was, it was kind of printing. I could, I could see a lot of stuff going on there. So this belt was a lot more low profile. I, I like it. I've been carrying this belt now for about a month, and, and I, I like it. I'm, I'm very pleased with it. Uh, as far as my mag pouches, I'll go ahead and take these off. I carry two mags with me. You see that? Mm-hmm. One, two. Purry. Now, these are... These are Alta clip. Well, they're Snake Eater tactical mag pouches. And then I cut the loops off. They have a Velcro loop on them when you buy them. I cut those off, and then I put those Ulti clips on them. Very nice. And, or Utility clips. I don't Utility. know how you pronounce yeah. them. Utility. So uh, really cool product. And what's nice about it is I can put them in, and I can clip them behind the belt so I don't have an extra stack of, of stuff on top of my belt. Nice. So the, the uh, UT clips are behind the belt. So those are Snake Eater Tacticals that I've kind of, pop riveted uh, uh so we got the flashlight i've got a streamlight here cool. and i'm trying out a uh, flashlight from another company that perhaps maybe i will switch over to here shortly sweet uh this one is just takes a double a and i've been carrying it for years and years now this isn't going to blind somebody you know that's not a thing with this but this gives you enough light when you need some light you know and and uh choosing size and concealability and whatever i'm really pleased with this and actually when it's dark out it lights things up quite a bit nice spider co spider co millie nice i've had this for years and years and years uh really nice knife i really like it keeps a good edge and been able to deploy it rather quickly i took a knife class with uh, alessandro Pedabati uh, in uh, last year He's a ICE's. We call him the Pokey Pokey guy. He does a lot of the. He does more than that. He's he's a he's full range instructor, right. but uh, he's an excellent uh, knife guy. And uh, so he came out here to New Kensington last year and put a class on. So after taking that class, I decided that I would also carry one in the other oh, other pocket. Oh, you got two. Yeah. So uh, this is a Benchmade. Well, my best friend gave me this when he got married, and uh, I was in his wedding. So he had my name engraved in it, and then one year at the annual meeting, I put my son's name on it. Nice. So this is our knife, and one day I'll give it to him. So uh, then as far as the first aid kit, we've got the Safer Faster Defense, the, uh, the, the I guess it's actually the Frog Pro. This is the, the version 1 cuff. Uh, he's made some design changes to it that I'm actually going to probably pick one up soon, but uh, the new version has, like, silicon impregnated in the inside so stuff doesn't slide out I've, I've got rubber bands on it if i'm running around or doing a lot of up and down so something sometimes they pop out you got to push it back in uh actually rob's got the the new version here and he just laid it over so this is the new version is a lot thinner and a lot lighter hmm. and it has it has this uh material inside you can't see that but it's like rubber inside that keeps stuff uh in place so uh the version two is a little better than the version one. Nice. Uh, but I've been carrying this now for three, three years. And, and here's a kudos to you. I would always have them in my pocket. So I'd have my tourniquet in my, I wear proper pants, which I'll talk about in a minute. Um, I'd wear it in my, my top pocket. And then I have my uh, quick clot in my right pocket. Didn't really carry any gloves or anything. I was just quick clotting and the tourniquet. But 
when you started having the ankle uh, wrap there, I was like, hmm, that looks interesting because I can, you know, no matter what I'm wearing, what kind of pants I'm wearing, I could still have that. Shorts, I could have that on. So I've actually switched over to that too because of uh, because of you. So you've, uh, you've given me that. Yeah, I found a – I used to get the Benchmade uh, – uh, cutters, you know, the seatbelt cutters, but uh, TSA stole a bunch of them <laughs> off because they look like hooks or something. Yep. So I found this one. This is from Columbia River, hmm. uh, and it's very small. It's this. not the easiest to deploy, but this uh, pants ripper or whatever you want to call it, um, like that. eight bucks. And I got it from LA Police Gear, okay. and it's made by Columbia River. And it, I just stick it in there. It fits real well. And I've got... Uh, a, a, a soft tee wide tourniquet. I've got an Israeli bandage, some quick clot gauze, uh, two chest seals, and also I carry a, a SWAT tourniquet, the rubber bandy thing. Mm -hmm. And more than anything, uh, it's my my son is he has small arms, so because the soft tee may not get as tight, I've done a lot of research on it. Uh, the SWAT tourniquet the rubber band one and actually michael martin talks about that in the uh concealed or the uh emergency first aid fundamentals class it's it might work a little better on a child so that's why i nice. decided to carry that and with the it's just a big rubber band so right. it's you Not can you can splint things and you can do you can do a lot of other things with it so i figured as a secondary tourniquet that i thought it was a good thing to put in my kit nice um so that's the first aid kit. So let's see, a couple other quick things here. Because I am a shameless self-promoter, I always I've got my tactical tailor business card holder. <laughs> so I've got my business cards. And I also carry a Fisher Space Pen. Fisher Space So I can I can write upside down in zero gravity. I can write under the water. Uh, I saw a documentary where there was a guy talking about the space program, and he says, says the Americans spent a million dollars developing a pen that could write in zero gravity, and the Russians took a pencil. <laughs> so yeah. And the last thing I'll show oh. you is my good old USCCA challenge coin that has my directions on what to do if I'm in a dynamic critical incident on the back. Very nice. Very nice. If, if, if you've followed me on Facebook or whatever, you've probably seen this coin a lot of times. Yep. Usually doing a USCCA class, I'll take a picture of this on the range. And I've had this for years and I lost it for a year once. Whole year I lost it. And uh, my wife had all of my son's friends over for a sleepover for his birthday one year. And they opened up the fold-out couch, and sure enough, it was there in the was. couch. Wow. And he found it for me. So uh, that's that's the USCCA challenge coin. Have you so been, that's, have you been that's, watching, like, when I do courses now, I'm starting to, to, to uh, plagiarize the way you do it? I'm starting oh, to do, I, do photos like yeah, you do? Well, yeah, well, I, I, I don't like know that. as if I'm the first person to come up with that kind of stuff, but You're, I've seen a lot of other instructors doing some things like that, too. But yeah. That's cool. It was neat. That's I, cool. I, you need to be idea. proud of what you're doing and promote what you're doing to spread the gospel because all of us are trying to empower our fellow law-abiding citizens and, and help true. them become responsibly armed. So, true. you know, a lot of times people give you the the stink eye because you, you're promoting yourself and no, that's, you know, I always kind of joke and say it's shameless self-promotion, but, you know, I've always worked for myself, so I need to get people to come to me to understand what I'm doing and sell myself confidently so that they'll want to, you know, pick up what I'm selling. And what I'm selling is 
great curriculum from ICE training and from USCCA and yep. and from NRA and and I feel I do a good job at it and I'm excited about it and I want people to experience that. So by you promoting what you're doing too and all the other instructors out here watching, do it. You know, get out there and put stuff up on Facebook and 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 other media and promote. Yeah, promote. a wise man said to me uh, recently, actually, uh, he'll. Uh... He'll get a kick out of me saying this. I'm not going to say who it is. But uh, he said that the, there's a lot of banana trees out there, but there's not that many instructors that will actually climb the tree or shake the tree to knock the bananas out. So I, uh, I like challenging my students to get out there and instructors that I've certified, you know, get out there, uh, you know, make your own way, find your own niche, have your own special way of doing something so that you have a captive audience. And then they want to come back and take classes from you versus just sitting in a class with, you know, dry eyes. Well, cool. Let's see. Let's see what you've got. Uh, okay. What do you so, got? So you're gonna have two of everything, right? Um, I should have two of everything. So I've got a little scribe here, an asp. I got uh, this asp scribe. It's basically a, a little flashlight. Got this when I became an asp instructor. So uh, handcuffing, baton, and flashlight instructor for asp. There's my other one. One of our sponsors, PowerTac. It's an E9. 1,020 lumens. So two flashlights. I've got my knife here, Raven Tactical, out the front, which obviously I have because I'm law enforcement. Nobody in New York can have that, but if you're in another state, that works. Uh, always have pepper spray on me, so Saber Red pepper spray. Uh, instructor for that, as well as uh, teaching this at the expo coming up next weekend. So make sure yeah, you sign up for that. I'm a saber instructor too, and I and when I can't have my firearm because mm -hmm. of you know maybe I'm in a state or whatever, saber pepper spray is yep. my secondary carry. You got your OC. So I always have. Uh, we show there the two flashlights, the uh, knife, the other knives. Actually, I left it on the uh, in my nightstand upstairs. But uh, the pepper spray, less than lethal or less less lethal. There's my other one, aspatan. So I always I always have that on me typically. So my two less lethal items uh firearm so i've got my my little remington rm380 little pocket pistol double action only and i'll do i'll do what you do my proper pants with my walther pps m2 and a ps and ed kydex holster dun dun I also carry appendix, as you can see, and when you and I uh, were talking about it before, it's probably been a couple years, I think, that I've been carrying appendix, uh, and I had to lose 35 pounds before I could carry appendix, but prior to that, I would carry uh, strong side, and that was a Glock 30S is what I had, but when I switched to appendix, I went to a Glock 43 with a Crimson Trace, and then when Walther sponsored me, I ended up switching over to the PPS and, and really like it. Uh, other mag, uh, keep that, usually keep that right here in this pocket, which is where I used to have my tourniquet, but then got rid of the tourniquet and went with uh, uh, the, this good old thing. So I move my tourniquet here, and that's where I carry my ammunition there. Now my extra mag. But I've got a quick clot, got marker. I'm going to downsize this because this is pretty big. These are pretty big, these scissors. But I did get them in black so they weren't so shiny. Well, that's tactical too. Of course. Uh, so I have the quick clot. I've got a cat, cat tourniquet inside here. So, 
but I, I do like the idea of the small, the the rubber band, smaller uh, tourniquet. I think I'm going to probably do that. I've got gloves in here, rubber gloves inside this little spot there. And, and I tell you, it's been it's been really cool. I really like like this. Uh, there's been a couple times that I forgot it, and that's another reason why, like I tell people, I'm not a big fan of off-body carry. You know, so but that being said, having that on my on my ankle, I'm getting used to it and getting in into my everyday routine. Takes a little bit to remember to do it, but I put mm -hmm. it on top of my pants. So when I move it off my pants, I put my pants on, and then it's fresh in my memory. And then I put it put it on. Uh, I ran into a little bit of an issue with boots. Like if I wear combat boots, especially for work, um, then then I get a finagle a little bit. But I've been able to get it to, and it doesn't work as good with my uh, my shit kickers that I wear on the farm here. Pens, two pens. This is a laser. Shooter Technology Group, and then also my tactical pen, which is you know, good for, but also as a pen. So, and it's black too, because it's tactical. And it's black. Yep. Yeah. Oh, and uh, and also my little business card pouch that I always have my business cards. I figured, you know, shameless plug, right? Yeah. So yeah, two knives, two guns, two flashlights, two less lethal, two first aid items. That's typically how I roll. Yeah, and it's it's you know you have to be disciplined to carry all that crap, mm -hmm. and and you know it's an extra sixteen pounds of stuff for me. Yeah, uh, but it's if I leave the house, like where's my gun? Oh, I need to put my med kit on. Okay, I need to put this on. You have, you have to be disciplined, uh, and but it has to be a choice too. You know you have to choose to. And carrying Definitely. two of one, that's that works great for you. Some people may not be able to do that. One's maybe they don't have those enough. resources available to them, and maybe they just their lifestyle doesn't doesn't uh, allow them to have that but we need to take what we can you know so having some Definitely. type of tool of self defense that's that's a good idea and having some type of medical equipment available you know whatever that might be even yep. if even if it's just an israeli bandage or some type of compression bandage that that's going to maybe save your life or save someone else's life most definitely you know i uh consistency is big so i'll wear the same pants well not the same pants, but I'll wear the same type of pants, <laughs> uh, proper pants and proper belt, and uh, it, it keep everything in the same spot because I don't want to have to be searching for it. I don't want to be, oh, where'd I put that gun? Where'd I put that knife, etc. If I know right where it's at, I'm, I can I can pull it out without having to think about it. Go right into that mindset of you go to the grocery store, you go to church, you go to, to work, you get done, you head home, you drive, pull in your driveway, and you're like, I don't even remember driving home. It just becomes second nature to you that you don't even think about it. And that's kind of right. why I have everything where I have it and consistently where I have it. So that way I'm not always searching for something. I know right where, Absolutely. right where it's right. at. So under a, in a dynamic critical incident, when the crap hits the fan, audio exclusion, time dilation, loss of dexterity, tunnel vision, adrenaline dump, you revert to your knowledge. And so the thing is, I, I don't know what you showed off exactly. I heard half the conversation, but I know that you actually carry all this stuff all the time. Yes. Right. And, and she got mad today because I called him scrawny. But relative to the audience it was in, I think it made the point. <laughs> what, what we didn't know was that he was a little bit scrawny. I call myself scrawny all the time. I'm scrawnier than he is. But like about a third of your body weight is now sitting here on the on the table. Feel and a I'm, lighter. Yeah. So well, I did I did hand this over because you were talking about the, the Gen 2 on mm -hmm. the, uh, the medical kit. So I don't know if you, if you saw that very well on there. But the, the Gen 2, um, I've been carrying this one for a little over a year. And I have an emotional, this makes me feel better. Emotional so this support, This is my yeah. emotional support medical kit. It makes me feel better that I have it. Um, <laughs> I don't know if you saw this was in there, but I've been going through TSA with this. Um, they, they oh, I've, I've lost 
three of them. They finally got their act together on these. So they 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 Good. pull it out sometimes because they're afraid these ridges are serrated, you know, and then they realize, oh, it's not. And sometimes I'll have like one of the line guys be like, oh, you can't have this. And I'll say, go talk to a supervisor if you don't mind. And they'll come back and be like, okay, you can have it. Um, but believe it or not, the the windlass on the uh, soft T, um, a lot of times I think they oh. think that's a Kubaton. I'm almost thinking oh, out of oh. Germany with this. I got into a big argument, and they took my metal pen uh, in exchange for me getting to keep my tourniquet. I'm not sure what that was. It was like a German like, tactical tax or something. <laughs> tactical tax. So, but, um, yeah, so today, so I have that. Um, I've got a flashlight. I really don't have a bunch of stuff, right? So I don't always carry a bunch of stuff. I've got my flashlight. I've been carrying the uh, either the Raven or the Scribe uh, from Ask a lot. I really like it because it could also be pokey and smashy if I need it to be. I've got... I got you, Rob. Uh, a knife. So I got that little guy. Um, oh, that one's actually a, a, got a little inscription on it. Yeah. From a, a buddy of mine's farm up in Vermont. So I carry that. Uh, this is an everyday knife. And then today, because I actually had some students using some stuff on the range, and at the end of the day, I was like packing all the gear up and everything else, and this was the kind of fastest, easiest, because I had actually loaned out my crossbreed holster for one of the students. So this is one of the mission first uh, tactical appendix uh, holsters that I've been using a lot on and off the range. And this is a Glock 43L. So it's the uh, 48 slide yep. on a 43 frame. And it's got the ICE claw sights, which use the same front square that Spalding's uh, sights use, okay. Ameriglo, and it, but it's got a wider rear notch. And of course, it's got the concave front end for the emergency manipulation. Mm-hmm. And it's a plain black notch. So it doesn't have that, that dash because that dash kind of, I want people looking at the top of the sights. You know, I want to look at the top edges. I don't want to look at that. I don't want to see the relationship between the bottom of the sights. So okay. That, that dash has always been a little yeah. bit. Actually, this this version of his, it it's oh, just got the black. Okay. Yeah. Yep. yeah. So I knew I knew I had talked to him about that years ago, and I, I don't know if he says, you know, Rob said I don't need that and got rid of it. But <laughs> I doubt was, it. Yeah, I probably yeah. say it, but <laughs> we were there. So uh, yes, that's good. I did I did hear that he had a new version of that, but that's yeah. still I think it's still a narrower notch than the, the claw comes with. Um, so I like the wider notch. Yeah, it seems uh, like you can see more light on either side. But either way, it's it's uh, the same concept. The square inside of a square makes all the sense. All mm-hmm. the circles, really. I think honestly, the sight companies it's easier for them to make a circle because they have the, the circles already kind of there, and uh, it's just a matter of time before more people start pushing for for more squares. So Fairglow's been doing that. So that's kind of it, you know. Like I mean, I've got a, a crossbreed uh, belt, I've got a really nice crossbreed belt. I've got a, a great pair of jeans and uh, a nice shirt, and I've got my mala beads. I've got my Walk yeah. to Talk America uh, band, and uh, nice. get your mental health free mental health screening um, for mental health awareness. Obviously, it's all run by uh, gun industry guys. We teamed up with Mental Health America to help people get the information and resources they need. I think it's something we do a, a horrible job at, uh, mm-hmm. being honest about mental health issues inside of the gun community. You know, obviously, it's gotten real trendy, right? I heard you talking about um, how you got first kind of turned on the medical kit stuff coming through the DFC program. Mm-hmm. You know, I remember when we did that fake um, student got shot video in Colorado, like 2012 or 13. Nobody was carrying tourniquets. Not nobody, but most people, you know, it wasn't trendy mm-hmm. and cool inside of the gun industry to be doing right. that then. Um, we started doing it uh, after we actually had a student in not in one of my classes, but inside of our program, we had a student um, put a round in their leg in one of our advanced pistol handling classes. And uh, luckily, the two instructors there were spot on as far as their medical stuff goes. They were able to get the guy stabilized, got him on a helicopter, uh, flew him to the hospital. And I actually was flying in to take over a class the next day. So I went straight to the airport to the hospital. And from that po- point on, we really got really super, you know, more aggressive on uh, mm-hmm. our, our instructors saying, we, we recommend you have this. 
within a year or two, it was you must have this if you're teaching one of our programs. Um, so the medical kit stuff is is super crazy important. Well, you mentioned crossbreed and crossbreed holsters. Yeah. Crossbreed is one of the the sponsors of yeah. the PDN yeah. tour. They're a tour sponsor for sure. And uh, they, they, you know, I've been using their holsters for a long time. Uh, but the belts, I actually did a post this morning um, with the holster that I ended up loaning off to the student this afternoon uh, in that picture. But this is uh, they make just an amazing belt. Um, and I'm not, I've never been one to be like a big deal on you know you got to have belts. a gun belt if you're going to carry a gun. Uh, but these belts are great. This one I've worn for, for probably three or four years now. They have a couple different kinds of buckles uh, that, that are nice. They've got the traditional buckle, and then they got the slidey, frictiony buckle, which is cool, too. And then uh, I've got a black one that I've worn off and on. I have a black one with blue stitching that I wore for a couple of years. Yeah. That I really liked. So they really do make a great leather belt. Um, they also, I guess, have a, uh, a nylon version as well. But the, uh, the leather ones are the ones that I've really come to, to know and love. And I'll wear them with suits. I wear them with all kinds of stuff. So it's not just the fact that it's a great gun belt. It really is a great leather belt. Cool. Do you do cool. you care to uh, uh, talk about how you carry or what items you have on you when you're in a suit? Because I've I've contemplated. Yeah. I've thought about that. Yeah. So when I when I'm wearing a suit is is one of the few times I, I don't carry much uh, behind the the hip anymore at all. Sometimes when I'm wearing a suit, that'll be one of those times where I'll wear pretty far back, about four thirty, uh, close to five o'clock. And the, the idea there is, and I'll use a super talk like the crossbreed super talk, and, and it's, it's pretty deep. Yeah, it's pretty deep concealment. Um, occasionally, I will still wear a, a carry appendix with the uh, appendix carry uh, holster, the leather hybrid holster from crossbreed. And I will obviously have to tuck when I do that. Um, I just, my build, again, being scrawny, I can't really get away with, with a lot, any kind of extra bulk up here. It's just obvious. And I wear my suits, you know, relatively fitted. Um, they're all you know, kind of tailored in tight, athletic fit or slim fit, whatever you want to call them. So I really can't get away with, with uh, having anything up front very often. Um, I've, I've carried a J-frame there occasionally. The belly band that I did with uh, Crossbreed years ago, the modular belly band, is also another great way to carry underneath of a suit uh, for appendix carry. If you're going to carry the J-frame revolver or a very small uh, single stack nine, something like that, the XDS, not the four inch that I normally carry, but the uh, 3.3 inch I can carry kind of a little bit lower under the waistband with the belly band. Um, but generally, the, the easiest way for me to carry is a small gun, uh, 4, 4.30, 5 o'clock, outside of the shirt. So not tucked in, but like a super tuck holster, but not mm -hmm. tucked in. And then just, I can't button the jacket. You know, if I button my jacket, it's definitely on a print. So mm -hmm. it's, uh, it's, it's definitely not nearly as easy uh, to do that. Fact is, most of the time I'm wearing a suit uh, or a tuxedo, I'm not in a place where I'm going to be carrying. You know, if I'm drinking, I'm not going to be carrying. Mm -hmm. If I'm on a plane, I'm not going to be carrying. If I'm in Europe, I'm not carrying. If I'm in Manhattan or Chicago, I'm probably not carrying. So there's. there's... Well, we're glad to have you, Rob. Yeah, I appreciate. It. I, I'm the first official guest, right? You I, are the you first, are official first official guest. First official guest. You are. Yes. The pressers. I told somebody over the weekend. I said, I don't know. I don't know how the show is going to go, but I'll tell you right now, it's the best name <laughs> in firearms podcasting. As far as I'm concerned, meet the pressers. Yeah, it's pretty well clever. played, guys. Thank you. Thank you yeah, very thanks much. Thanks for having me on. No problem. Thank you. Thank you. So, Clint, you want to go through uh, what you have coming up, what, uh, what events, what classes, where you're going to be? Yeah, yeah, I can, I'll go over them real quickly. Uh, a few things I wanted to cover was uh, a new PDN article, uh, Defending Yourself Against Criminals and Elected Officials. If you go into Personal Defense Network on the free side, you can see that, that article. I'm very pleased with that one. It's getting nice. a, lot of, a lot of good comments. Uh, you know, this, I thought about that article when we shot our last episode. 
Yep. We were talking about how I said people will trip and fall over each other to go touch the new SIG, but they can't pick up a phone and call their legislators. Yeah. That that they can't uh, communicate with that person that might actually limit their ability to buy that SIG. Yeah. So uh, that's all I'll say about that. Read the article. I'm, Don't give I'm too much away. Yeah, yeah. And of course... And, but let me say that we've never written a political article. We've never published a political article at PDN. Really? As politically active as I am, I've always done like a church and state thing there where we don't talk about, you know, the stuff we talked about earlier in the show that doesn't come out on PDN. I've never really done. Well, when I submitted it, I thought, I said to my wife, I said, yeah, yes. I'm going to send it to Rob first. And, and if he wants it, cool. If not, you know, I'll, I'll find somewhere else that might want to want to want to use it. But yeah, uh, Matt had I was, sent it in. I just wouldn't. I was very, very, uh, <laughs> I was, I was very pleased you, you liked it. I, I, it like you're, you're so, you're, I know how incredibly sincere this guy is, right? If you know anything about Clint, you know that, that there's a, a massive amount of integrity and sincerity in everything he does. And I know that you've been more involved in the political fight because of the things that are going on in Pennsylvania, specifically right here in your backyard in Pittsburgh, and the role that you have with uh, the, the Fire Inventors uh, Against Crime. Yeah, and, and Crime. And the uh, County Sportsman's League. You've taken on a more and more political role here representing Pennsylvania gun owners. And I, I, I assume that somewhere in there, that's part of the motivation for writing that article, oh, your experiences in the last year. And, and that's, a, that's a fair voice to represent. And it is something that, that we as gun owners need to be very aware of, and, and including people that are, that are kind of, I don't want to get into politics. I'm doing this to defend myself and my family. Well, guess what? The politics is part of how you're going to defend yourself and your family, and that's True. that's the point you made, and I think you made it really well in that article, and that's that's why it's really worth reading. But I do want to jump in there and say it's a very unique article for PDN, and I don't know that we'll do much more. I don't think it's like going to open a, a door where it's going to start mm -hmm. doing a bunch of politics mm -hmm. there. It's not really what we do. It's not what PDN is. You can get that from me at Two AO or WTTA or just on my own social media. Mm -hmm. uh, but but your voice there, I think, is a, is a great one to have, uh, especially the way you wrote it. So, so take a look at that article. Cool. Cool. Awesome. We have a National Training Teacher Day coming up. I mm -hmm. talked about that last episode, but just to give a, a quick recap on it, July 20th, 2019 is National Training Teacher Day. Instructors from across the country are offering free training to uh, teachers, school staff, and administrators on that day free of charge. And uh, the United States Concealed Carry Association and TASER both are sponsors this year. We, last year, we didn't want to do the sponsorship thing. And this year, mm -hmm. we thought, oh, let's, let's see if we can help grow the program. And both of those, I, well, the organization, USCCA, and the company, TASER, are going to be offering uh, supplies to the instructors that are teaching those uh, certified courses through their training, uh, their, their training ends. Nice. And uh, USCCA instructors can get free books, textbooks for the students. There's a process on how to do that. And I'll, I'll give that information to those that, that are USCCA instructors. Uh, Grant Gallagher, uh, he awesome. is the other co-administrator. And he's, he's a TASER certified instructor. Mm -hmm. So he's the one that brokered that deal. Honestly, I, I haven't taught TASER. And I'm, I'm very unfamiliar with him. So I don't want to comment too much further on that. Uh, but that is available to the TASER instructors. Uh, we've up to this point been kind of pushing for instructors to volunteer and we have a pretty good bed of of instructors now we're pushing 200 instructors that have volunteered wow. and we're still accepting submissions i'm sure when That's i awesome. check my email there'll be another six or seven people uscca has helped out a great deal on spreading that information and getting that out there uh, tim schmidt put one of his uh, concealed carry reports uh, out and, and explained about the program and uh, mike brickner has sent out a couple emails to the instructor cadre letting them know 
Um, right now, what we're trying to do is now kind of shift the focus of promotion to the end users. We want to make sure we get this information out to those teachers and school staff and administrators so that they can now try to find and connect with these people through the website and, and get into the classes. Nice. So, you know, the, the message is there. It's not a gun thing. This is all about protecting children and empowering those teachers who are charged with the safety and education of our children. So, you know, it might be a gun class that they'd be looking for, you know, whether that be a, a concealed carry class or maybe a home defense class. You know, I'm, I'm teaching a, a home defense class as well as uh, the countering the mass shooter threat presentation through the USCCA because a lot of the home defense tactics, if you will, we could employ in a classroom. You know, we could, we could evade, we could barricade, we could uh, try to communicate and then arm ourselves and, and perhaps, you know, respond appropriately in that situation. But there are other instructors that are teaching Alice training. There's other folks that are teaching full-on, like, you know, uh, active mass murder training inside of a school. There are other folks that are teaching NRA basics of pistol shooting. You know, and I think that has value. You know, a teacher that doesn't know anything about guns, taking that class, understanding how firearm works, then being able to maybe recognize, oh, hey, when that person, that bad guy is reloading, that might give them an opportunity to to maybe tackle them or, or maybe step out another door, perhaps. Right. So I, there's lots and lots of information out there for teachers, uh, school staff and administrators, lots of medical training. There's lots of guys putting on Stop the Bleed courses, uh, emergency first aid fundamental classes. So we want to make sure we spread that gospel to the, the teachers and let them know there is lots of options for them. It's not just the gun thing. Although some teachers might want to want to get that training, and some some places teachers can arm themselves in their school. Mm. I mentioned this before in Pennsylvania last year when we did the first uh, National Training Teacher Day. There was a uh, um, a superintendent in Eastern Pennsylvania that put buckets of rocks in classes, and a lot of people in the gun industry were giving that guy a lot of grief about that. But I thought that was a wonderful idea, because in Pennsylvania we can't legally arm our stu our teachers. But what he did was he gave them Something. a way something a, a way they could be proactive to to mount a defense you know mm -hmm. i i charge any of us to try to stand there and do anything while you know teenagers are throwing rocks at us yeah so that that empowers them that gives them something proactive they can do aside from cowering in the corner waiting for the police to arrive while the clock ticks and so that's that's kind of what we're looking at we're not for an armed teacher program a national armed teacher program i don't think that's the right thing but law-abiding citizens who happen to be teachers should be able to defend themselves and exercise their second amendment rights at work just like they can at the at the beach or at the uh, you know the park whatever yes. and in those places where they can't do that legally now what better advocate for change than an empowered and well-educated uh, teacher so July 20th, 2019 is National Train of Teacher Day. You can learn more about that on nationaltrainateacherday.com. Hey, everybody. I'm John Tigan on Meet the Pressers with Matt Clint. Uh, the last thing I think that we wanted to talk about was uh, we've got USCC Expo coming up, yep. USCCA Expo, and, and we're all going to be presenting there. Yes, and we're going to be not just presenting there, but we're going to be recording the show there at the different booths, looking at different products, uh, doing hopefully some recording in, in your studio since you're so close to where the expo is going to be. So that's going to be another plus uh, for there. But what, uh, what courses specifically are you teaching at the expo? I'll be doing a concealed carry lifestyle seminar on Saturday and on Sunday. I okay. believe I'm doing an appearance on uh, concealedcarry.com 
And I think USCCA has some other things going on, but I'll most likely be at the UTM booth, the Ultimate Training Munitions booth, Same. either there or the live fire range. But I think Tony Lambrea said that he was going to try and snap me up and see if I could work work the UTM booth. Very cool. Uh, but I will definitely be there. Visit the Trigger Pressers Union booth. We will have a booth yes. there. There we will be selling flamethrower tickets. Uh, we're doing a, a uh, raffle. Of, we're raffling off a flamethrower. And uh, this is something that was actually purchased and donated to Firearms Owners Against Crime from one of my uh, trigger pressers union instructors. Uh, he wants to remain anonymous, but he decided, hey, Pittsburgh in their illegal ordinances is, is outlawing flamethrowers, which is kind of ridiculous. And he says, I'm going to buy one. Why don't you guys raffle it off and make as much money as you can and nice. put it into the, uh, into the legal fund? So we have flamethrower tickets available. We're we're doing a, a thousand of them. They're ten bucks a piece, and it's going to be on the uh, Pennsylvania Daily Lottery number. And I, I think it's on the thirtieth of of May that we're going to be uh, raffling that off. Uh, it's at the end of May. I can't recall the, the date off the top of my head. Uh, those tickets are available on the Firearms Owners Against Crime website uh, right now. But I will have them in hand at the USCCA Expo, and you'll be able to see the flamethrower at our booth. It'll be there. You can you can see it. Stop there by, pick up a Trigger Pressers Union t-shirt, take a picture of yourself holding a flamethrower, and buy a whole stack of tickets because it's going to go towards uh, fighting uh, the city of Pennsylvania, or city of Pittsburgh, uh, as they've uh, enacted these illegal ordinances. Now, just so everyone knows, uh, those ordinances are not in effect at the time of the USCCA Expo, so you can carry with confidence you're not going to be violating any laws or any in illegal ordinances so uh be sure to uh come on by the uh, trigger pressers union booth yeah and the state came out i think i seen something that you said they came out and basically said that the they can do their own thing it's a local matter or something uh, well, something there was there was there was some letters that came back from uh, the governor's office which was a very disappointing letter to get you know the governor is very is, political well, very well, of course, you know, but he's very uh, anti-liberty in regards to uh, the Second Amendment for sure, and uh, he didn't give an answer that I was that I that Expected. I accepted. Hoped it, hoped I, that he would have given, right? Yeah. But uh, anyhow, uh, that is moving forward. Where our lawyer Joshua Prince is is on it. He's he's uh, definitely. Uh, doing his thing. He's very creative and uh, we, we feel we're in good hands with him. And I look forward to giving more good news as we move forward with that. But rest assured, uh, the fight is there. It's happening in the courts and it's going to cost money. So, you know, help us pick up one of those tickets, maybe take home a flamethrower or get one sent. Yeah. You can own them in all 50 states, Maryland and California. There are some restrictions, but Essentially, you can own them in all 50 states, and uh, you can use them for snow removal, which is kind of cool. Uh, mm -hmm. I guess we use them for snow removal. Or, or leaf removal. I think, well, wait. That well, might, no. now that, that, might, that might cause other problems. Right. So, Matt, what do you have coming up? What are some things you have going on? So, I'm going to be doing a pepper spray seminar, free seminar, as well as a pepper spray four-hour certification course, Saber Red, at the Expo. Uh, and then, like you, I'll be working the UTM booth. So I've been told uh, wherever they need me, I'll be working. But I, I've been told so far it'll be the UTM booth. Uh, and then, obviously, we'll be recording and, and trying to get content for our next show after this one at the expo, which will be awesome. 
as far as uh, events that I have coming up or classes that I'm hosting, I've got Larry Vickers coming in to do a pistol marksmanship course in August, the on, a, on Friday the 16th of August, and then the 17th is a AR operator, and the 18th of August is an AK operator course. So if anybody's interested in getting trained from a Special Forces Green Beret, Larry Vickers, the lab, then uh, you definitely want to check that out. It's up on the events page on the PSNED website. Uh, as well as in in October, October 19th, I've got um, John Tigan coming in. Tig cool. from 13 Hours, the movie. And obviously he was one of the Benghazi heroes where the movie and the book were made from. So he's coming in to do a charity event. It's going to be kind of like a Friends of the NRA, uh, Friends of NRA uh, dinner, door prizes, raffles, etc. Five lucky winners. Uh, and Tig will actually tell his the story, what happened there. And then five lucky winners will get to go out and have lunch with him on, on the next day. And also go to the range and shoot some fun guns. My Uzi, oh. my Tommy gun, my AK-47, my sporterized Mosin-Nagant. Uh, hopefully we'll have a Barrett. been talking to Barrett. Barrett's uh, contemplating, seeing if they can get a schedule and get somebody to bring a Barrett 50 out. So a 50 BMG. Browning machine gun. Yep. So we'll have some uh, some fun stuff there. So that's also up on the events page if anybody's interested in that. All proceeds from that goes to the Battleground Foundation, which is TIG's uh, charity that donates to veterans, those that need it. And one local charity will, will get some of the proceeds will be going to them. So as far as uh, courses, tons of courses, rifle, pistol, shotgun, NRA, USCCA, Boater Ed, I'm doing a Boater Ed course tomorrow, uh, Driver Ed, Bail Enforcement Agent course coming up soon, Law Enforcement, uh, the Leosa, HR218, uh, getting ready to do an academy, also security guard courses, just uh, forming our security guard school, so we'll be doing security guard courses, armed and unarmed uh, security guard courses all over New York State, uh, trying to get little places all over that we we can do it doing the multi-state the utah and the florida course for people to have reciprocity in other states i'm doing that in long island coming up in september and then i also do that in bath Run gun club in steuben county obviously here in the onondaga county area so uh what i miss i miss anything dun, dun, dun. the pepper spray hand-to-hand combat we've been doing more more of that as well um articles so you mentioned your articles, I'll mention mine. I've got an article now uh, that I wrote because I met with George Zimmerman, had dinner with him in October when I was down in Florida for the International Associations of Chiefs of Police Conference. And it's called uh, Seven Years Later, George Zimmerman Talks to Somebody He Trusts. It's all about his uh, life prior, what happened that night, and then what his life's like now and just kind of gives people an idea of how your life could change. You could do everything for the right reason, do nothing illegal, and still be prosecuted or worse, persecuted by a jury of public opinion. So you want to, uh, like you like you allude to, I say it a little different, but it's the same thing. You, know, you don't have to be in the fight. Just because the law says you may doesn't mean you must. And you can't pick your jury, you can't pick your judge, you can't pick your prosecutor. Um, so, and if you don't have money, you really can't pick your uh, defense attorney <laughs> either, typically. So, uh, yeah. And then uh, another article I'm working on because uh, I, I get a lot of requests or a lot of questions as far as medical marijuana cards from people who already have a license, uh, a pistol license in New York State, or people who are looking to get a pistol license. And they basically say, Can I have a gun? Can I buy a gun? And being an FFL, knowing that the 4473 specifically says you can't add it's still legal federally i thought it'd be a good idea to put an article together so it's basically a uh, a smoking gun as a medical marijuana card a recipe for infringement and that's basically the 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 gist of it but i go through a bunch of different types of marijuana like people that smoke it well i got medical marijuana and you know same mindset as driving 
and with alcohol. You're not going to drive and have alcohol in your system, even if the law allows you to, like you can in New York. But you're not going to, if you have a medical marijuana card, it's legal in your state. Federally, it's still illegal. In good conscience, fill out a 4473 uh, and tell the truth and still pass a Nick's background check, federal background check. So, but I get into that in the article and, and uh, I'm working on shop, uh, basically interviewing, going through some different companies to, to find out who's going to pick it up and, and go from there. So hopefully I'll have a couple, oh. couple good national articles rolling out this year. So with that said, this is Clint Macro from Trigger Pressers Union. And Matt and Mallory it's... from PS and Ed. And uh, we bid you good night. I do. <laughs> <laughs>